Good morning. My name's Aaron. I'm on the admin team here. I bring your guys' announcements to you every Sunday. Um, again, a lot of stuff in the uh, bulletin this morning for you, so please read through all of it. I won't be able to go through everything with time, but I uh, do want to mention just a couple things that aren't on there. Um, Kids Road. We have a new round, um, new quarter of Kids Road starting up on June 28th. So that's the weekend after Father's Day, which is next week. So um, that's when our kids are going to start transitioning. I don't know, they call them graduation or promoting up to the next level based on age. Um, with that, we're kind of switching over some teachers. Um, we're about 75% full downstairs with volunteers for this next quarter. So we still have a ways to go. Um, right now, what we're really looking for, um, subs of any kind, whether it's you can say, hey, well, over the next three months, I can sub one week, I can sub two weeks, um, whatever, we're open for anything. We kind of need a leader in, uh, in uh, kindergarten through third grade class. We need a lead teacher for that. Um, we also need walkers and talkers, and those serve just once a month. So, I mean, it's really, it, it's all over the board, our needs down there. So we're just asking for you guys to just search your hearts and pray about it. See if it might be something that you can sign up for. Um, again, the substitute role, there's not really not a whole lot of commitment to that. It's if, if something were to happen during the summer, somebody got sick, an emergency, uh, we just need to be able to plug you in there. Um, so talk to Heather and Eli Herzler. They're always downstairs in the kids' road. Um, let them know that you're interested in it, and uh, we can get you on the list. Uh, second thing that's not on there, on the bulletin, at least I didn't see it. I didn't go through 100% of it just yet, but as a uh, men's fire pit night. We, are, uh, we do this kind of every summer, get together at one of the guys' house, sit around the fire, um, just talk and fellowship and just really kind of pour into each other's lives. Um, the next one that we're having is coming up on June 26th. It's going to be from 7 to 10 p.m., and it's going to be at Justin Holland's house in Marysville. Um, you'll see some flyers up on the wall and some columns. They've got fancy little, like, tear-offs. Justin's pretty creative. So um, these fancy tear-offs that have the address and time and all that on there. Um, Justin, I don't think there's any need to, uh, to RSVP or anything, right? No? All right. So just go ahead and show up. Um, again, it's just a great time. We did a couple of these last summer, and it's just fun just to get together as guys and, I don't know, smoke a cigar, smoke a pipe, have a beer, have a pop or a root beer, and just hang out. Um, one other thing, women's study starts next week. So we have a four-week class um, that's going to be studying a book called uh, The Walk, right? I believe that's what it's called. Or no, it's called Who I Am. Sorry, Who Am I? Sorry, but this is a book we actually went through as guys in, uh, in a study just a couple months ago. And it was phenomenal. It was really, really great. Four weeks, you're going to pack a whole lot into four weeks with this book study. But um, So that's going to be on Thursday, 10 a.m., right here at the church. Uh, again, four weeks. Uh, child care is going to be available up to five years of age. So anything over that, we, we don't have the ability to do that right now. And it's just going to be at a really low cost for those um, newborns up to five years old. So um, we ask that you RSVP and sign up for that. Um, I believe there's a sign-up sheet in the back, but then also in your bulletin, there's going to be an email address, and you can sign up online um, at our website. Um, lastly, again, going on with this Wheeler World thing, um, trying to raise funds for uh, the Wheeler family to go down to Chile for an extended mission trip. This is another thing that the Flynn Group came up with. This is an amazing raffle. This is five bucks a ticket, or you can get five for 20 bucks, and it includes two iFly indoor skydiving certificates, two movie tickets to Regal Cinemas, and 15 bucks at Coldstone Creamery. So a heck of a date night. Um, 
or if you want to just go by yourself and have somebody else go with you. Um, this is going to be handled by um, Johnny and Melissa Nowak, and they're actually down in the Road 101 course right now. So right after first service, you'll be able to hook up with them. So grab some cash for this. Um, this is an amazing fundraiser, um, and it's going to kind of go along with the uh, garage sale that we have going on next week. I mean, we're going to be raising funds like nobody's business for the wheelers, which is great. So please, um, find Melissa and Johnny. They'll have this big, funny-looking tub. Find them, give them some money, get your certificate or get your ticket. Um, with that, that's all that I got. Read your bulletin, please. Um, stand up and greet your neighbor. Say hi. And talk about the weather or whatever you want. Check, check. Good morning. I want to welcome you this morning, invite you to find your seat as we get started this morning. Thank you for joining us. I'm Brian and I am the music and operations deacon here at the church. And so Sam, Pastor Sam, he is with his wife Kaylin out of town celebrating their 20th anniversary. Um, and so... I get the privilege, yeah, it's awesome. So I get the privilege of uh, sharing the message this morning with you guys, which is uh, an intense one. It's a hard one, but um, again, I'm thankful that I get to be able to share it with you. So um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 13. So Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 13, and we'll jump right into it. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow others who would enter go in. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, but when you, they become one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. And woe to you, Blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if he swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on its altar, 
or on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? That's a harsh word. Uh, let's pray together before I get started. Lord, I pray that you would help me proclaim the truth found within this text. Lord, you remove my fear, my anxiety, as I carry the joyful burden of preaching from your word this morning. You are a holy and awesome God who is alive and active, working in and through us by your Holy Spirit. So thank you, Lord, that you have conquered, that you have risen, that you are the God of our salvation. And it is for your glory that we gather here. And I ask that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and faith to believe what you teach us this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we read how Jesus warns the crowd and his disciples um, about not following the false leadership of the Pharisees. So in verse 3, Jesus says, For they preach, but they do not practice. These religious leaders were found guilty of the sin of hypocrisy. They were hypocrites. This is still one of the main complaints against the church and their leaders. It's hypocrisy. They're hypocrites. They say one thing, yet they do another. And if we're being honest, this can be one of our main frustrations that we have with one another. Our brothers and sisters in the Lord, like they don't do what they say they're going to do. They don't practice what they preach. But is it unloving for us to call someone out on their hypocrisy? And how does Jesus deal with a bad leader's hypocrisy? And how does he deal with ours? How does he save us from our hypocrisy? 
These are some of the questions that I hope to uh, answer, have a conclusion for you as we go through our text today. Um, and as we do, we see that Jesus now is addressing the scribes and Pharisees directly. So he was talking to the crowds, now he's directly talking to them, and he is pronouncing or declaring seven, uh, a series of seven woes upon them. And uh, what does Jesus mean by this, these woes? Um, as we take a look at these seven woes that he's given to the religious leaders, I just want us to take um, just a second as we're going through this. It's easy for us to kind of sit back and go, well, they got it coming. So go ahead, Jesus, lay it on thick. You know, like seriously, just to sit back and, and, and to, dare I say, hold ourselves over them, thinking like, you know, God wouldn't say that to me because, but... It's important for us. It's important for us that as we uh, as we go through this, that we see that um, what Jesus is doing here is he is though he's condemning these leaders, um, these woes are just as much warnings for the church as they are a sentence for them. And so, what does Jesus mean by these seven woes of judgment? Well, let's remember that Jesus um, was Jewish. And he had 12 Jewish disciples. And he is addressing the Jewish religious leaders here. And so the number seven, that's interesting, the number seven in Judaism is, a, or is the divine number of completion. And so um, it's representing of creation, uh, of good fortune, of blessing. And so uh, this is, as he's pronouncing these seven woes, there's a reason why they're seven. The woe, the word woe, is an expression used to unite both wrath and pain, both anger and sorrow. Woes generally are broken into three parts, the addressee, which describes in Pharisees in this case, the sin, and the judgment. Every one of these seven woes Jesus speaks here is an exclamation just like the blessed in the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus is not simply stating his ill wishes towards them. He's not just simply saying, like, woe to you guys, and this is what I hope happens because you suck. It's like, he's actually stating a fact. It's more than a curse he's pronouncing. It's more of a calm, true judgment and verdict given by the supreme judge himself. So you could say that God's wrath and anger, his pain, his sorrow was coming to a finishing point with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, who were bad leaders because in their hypocrisy, they had drawn people away from the kingdom of heaven rather than towards it. So I want to take some time to just unpack these seven woes here and go through them and see just how they've done this. How have they done this? Because again, as a warning to the church, uh, we need to be aware of how we could be possibly doing this. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is explaining, this is what it's like to be in my kingdom. And now, towards the end of his ministry, we have his Sermon of Woes where he's saying, this is what it looks like to not be. So let's take some time to unpack this. The first woe in verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. 
For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter go in. Not only were these leaders uh, not entering the kingdom of heaven themselves, but they had become roadblocks for others as well. And why is that? What were they doing that uh, created that, that shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces? Well, how does one enter into heaven? John 3.16 is one of the uh, probably most famous passages in the Bible. It says, For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's awesome. But who is Jesus speaking to when He says this? Who is Jesus speaking to? Nicodemus. And who is Nicodemus? A Pharisee. He's a Pharisee. And he comes to Jesus and he asks him, so what what is this all about? I mean, we acknowledge that something's going on here with you. But what is this all about? And though John 3.16 is is famous and it's one of those verses that many know, even those outside of the church have heard it or know it, verse 17 and 18 very often is not known. And Jesus says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God's wrath, His pain, His anger and sorrow, This begins with the scribes and Pharisees' disbelief in Jesus as the one and only Son of God. And I believe, like for us, as we get into a place or a bad leader who who finds himself in a place of hypocrisy, it begins here with disbelief in who Jesus says he is. He can't possibly be who he says he is, so there's got to be some other way. Maybe there's something I can do that can add to this, or can make me look better, or can make him look better. I don't know. Because they have shut the doors on themselves, and because they teach others to disbelieve in Jesus, as Lord, they're doing the same for others. They're becoming roadblocks. They're shutting the door in their face. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is why in verse 15, during the second woe, Jesus goes on to say that their converts are twice as much a child of hell. That's intense. The Pharisees were fanatical about converts, about finding people that could be just like them. And uh, what they often did, though, as somebody became a Pharisee, is they put on the burden on those converts of their extra-biblical traditions and customs. And what was common was converts would try to outdo their converter in zeal, and uh, which created fellow fanatics, created uh, men who we see um, in the early church would become uh, their most bitter opponents. In Galatians and Colossians, uh, we hear about these uh, converts who are just attacking the church. 
and attacking the name of Jesus. During the third woe, Jesus begins to shift towards more specific uh, things the scribes and Pharisees do that are not biblical, but more, uh, more so extra-biblical customs that overshadow the simple truth. Um, by the Pharisees distinguishing between um, oaths made by the temple and those made by the gold of the temple, uh, between oaths made by the altar and those made by gifts on the altar. It's like us saying, um, uh, if you make a promise with your fingers crossed, it's not really a promise. But if you were to put your hand on the Bible and to say, oh yeah, I swear that I'll, I'll you know, do that thing, well, that's good. Or, uh, you know, a handshake is just not good enough. That's not binding uh, for a promise, but uh, if you were to raise your hand and say, I swear by God that uh, I will do what I say I'll do. I'm like, okay, cool. Alright, good. He's good. And Jesus is, is pointing out here, he's, he's making a point that um, they're making these superficial distinctions of how uh, uh, they're making superficial distinctions and they have overlooked the higher principle of the law, which is a promise is a promise. A promise is a promise. So whether it is made inside or outside of the church, God is present. God is present. And He is holding you to account. Jesus taught in His Sermon on the Mount that kingdom people need only to give a simple yes and a no as a binding oath. Because those with faith in God recognize their constant accountability to Him. Jesus is simply saying, you guys have just made it so difficult. You've added all this extra stuff to what God had already said that just makes it confusing. That people are losing sight of the simplicity of let your yes be yes and your no be no. God is present. During the fourth woe, Jesus continues to address how the scribes and Pharisees focus more on their extra-biblical customs. Uh, in verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. For these you ought have done without neglecting the others. Now the Mosaic law, this is the, the code of law that the ancient um, Hebrews um, were given, uh, beginning with the Ten Commandments, so Moses is given these rules, these laws, and he's to give them to the people. Uh, this required giving a tenth of all that one produced for the ongoing work of the Lord through the Levites and the priests. And we see that in Leviticus chapter 27. Now, the Pharisees were very conscientious about this, about giving a tithe. And they would go the next step and they would tithe even from their, their small garden crops. And it's interesting because Jesus doesn't say that they're wrong in doing this, but that they should have done this without neglecting the far more important matters, which are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Here's the thing, when church leaders become caught up in the performance or in a works-based gospel, oftentimes what is neglected is integrity, compassion for humanity, 
and a closeness with God. It's all about the show. How many converts do we have? How good is our music? How great is our kids' program? How cool and functional is our building? And on and on and on. So there is little to no work being done with those in need and little to no care to do so. God said in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. May God protect us from performing the latter before ever intimately considering the former. We need to know God. Know His Word. Like I shared last time, do, you, do we know the life of Christ, what He said? Why He did what He did? Because as we do, this is what compels us to want to serve those who are in need. Want to serve those uh, within our own church body. Just to love on them. Just to say, I love you because God has loved me this much. This is what it does. This is what it compels us to do. The fifth and sixth woes in verse 25 through 28. Now this deals with the corrupt internal condition of the Pharisees' hearts. Like tombs, which in Jesus' day were very beautiful. They were decorated. They, were, they, were, they could be very big. Um, uh, though they were beautiful, obviously within, they're holding death and decay. There's a dead body inside Jesus says in verse 28, So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. For me, this section of woes was just hit home the hardest. Because I think, at least for me, it's easier to say, oh yeah, things are good, I'm good. And to try and appear that way, rather than being honest about my hypocrisy, being honest about the things that I struggle with. And the flip side of that is when somebody comes to me, and I'm just being honest here, when someone comes to me and they begin to share, the struggle I have in that is not thinking to myself, oh, okay, how long is this going to take? <laughs> I mean, honestly. Or, I don't really want to deal with this right now. It can be so hard to remain present and in the moment with somebody who is struggling or who is sharing their struggle. It's equally as hard, if not harder, to be the one who shares. Sam said this well last week. A good leader does not hide his hypocrisy, rather is willing to admit to it. I hope and pray that that's a state that we can remain in in our leadership, but also as a church, that we would not hide, that we would not pretend, but when the moment presents itself, we're able to be honest and open about who we are, where we're at, and the struggles that we're facing. Uh, In this last woe, the seventh woe, This highlights that the scribes and Pharisees are following in the footsteps of their ancestors who had persecuted and murdered God's prophets. 
He says in verse 31, Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Now I think it's important for us to learn from those who have gone before us, both in the good things that they've done and the bad. And we need to be careful as we look back on those who have gone before us and be like, well, I think I would have done that a little better. You know, I probably would have, wouldn't have sinned that bad if I was, you know, in that situation. You know, or I think oftentimes, you know, we think of Adam and Eve in the garden and we're like, idiot, why'd you eat the fruit? You know, like seriously, it's like, I wouldn't have done that. I mean, what's wrong with you guys? But we have to be careful because we tread on the same waters as the scribes and Pharisees when we think like this and when we say these things. Every one of us, every man, every woman, every child, we are capable of terrible sin. And it is arrogant and proud to think that we are better than others or above those who have gone before us. So we either learn how to best worship God through the mistakes made by those who have gone before us or we follow in their footsteps and their mistakes. Let me make this maybe just a little more personal to us, Restoration Road Church. What do you think Jesus would say to us if he was to speak woes to us, over us? Maybe he would speak to our love for money. Maybe he would speak to our critical spirit towards those um, who are struggling, towards leaders who have fallen. Maybe he would speak to our compulsiveness, which leads to a lack of consideration towards God and others in what we say and do. Maybe he would speak to our tolerance of sin, And now it has misled and corrupted our personal and corporate worship. Maybe he would speak to our need to be seen. Fifteen minutes of fame is not enough. I need to be seen. It's about me. Look at me. Look what I can do. I think it's funny because like you watch like uh, American Idol and all that stuff. I mean, everybody just wants to be like on camera, be seen. Everyone, I'm a singer. I'm a singer. Everybody's a singer all of a sudden. It's like, and the best part of those shows is like the first like, I don't know, 800 weeks they have of just the auditions where people are terrible. You're just like, who keeps telling you to sing? Like, Anywho, side note. Maybe he would speak to our need to be entertained or to have it our way rather than humbling ourselves before the Lord and admitting that it's not all about me. Maybe he would speak to our polished exteriors Yet, there's a dirty inside. There's a dirty interior. Is it unloving for us to call someone a hypocrite? Is Jesus being unloving to the scribes and Pharisees in doing so? Kind of seems to be the case. I mean, as I read through this text, I mean, especially initially, the first time as I'm reading through, I hear it in my head as just like, he's just 
he's going crazy. He's irate. Woe to you. Which when I first heard that, I'm like, man, that'd be just kind of fun to use every now and then. Just like go to Starbucks and then you have like someone give you the wrong drink. Like, woe to you, barista. Or you have done wrong to me. I don't know. That's what I heard. But Jesus is, in my mind as I read through this, angry. He's frustrated. And he seems to contradict himself a little bit here because at the beginning of his ministry, he preached that uh, and said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In our society now, today, tolerance takes precedence over truth and acceptance over admonishing. We have forgotten that real love is a person, Jesus Christ. It is not an emotion that is dictated by what society says um, is or isn't um, tolerable or acceptable. A change in behavior begins with a change in the heart. Simply put, we cannot, uh, we cannot change what we cannot see. And what do we typically see and base our judgment on when we look at others? Their exterior. What they show us. But God is different. God says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. This is why I believe Jesus can speak these words of condemnation to the scribes and Pharisees and be doing so in love. Because he is not simply dealing with the symptoms, but addressing the core issue, their heart. He's going after their heart. And this should be our prayer. As we learn to love one another and to glorify God, that we would not be content with managing our sin or managing the sins of others, but that we would attack it at its core. We would go to the heart. What is the heart issue behind what's going on? If we want to be like Christ then we have to be willing to love people more than ourselves by not avoiding conflict. Pastor Paul Tripp, he speaks of Christ's love, real love, working in and through us in this way. He says, love is probably the hardest word to describe and people often mistake it for things that don't rise to the level of what love is and what love does. Love is not tolerating things that are wrong in the eyes of God in order to create a comfortable surface peace. Neither is, wrong, is love shown by saying, it's okay, don't worry about it, to a person who did something wrong. Love is not asking others to tolerate wrong things being done and it certainly isn't remaining silent when people need to speak up. Love is not defined by people who avoid confrontation in tense moments either because maintaining peace at any cost is not love. Real, biblical, self-sacrificing, 
self-sacrificing, God-honoring love never compromises what God says is right and true. Truth and love are intimately bound together. People who are willing to go through tense and difficult moments in order to achieve what God wants are the ones showing true love. People often choose to remain silent in order to avoid issues, but this only shows that people love themselves and not the other person. Love doesn't call wrong right. Love doesn't ignore wrong and hope it goes away. Love doesn't turn its back on you because you are wrong. Love doesn't mock you. Love doesn't mean I turn the tables and work to make you hurt in the same way you have hurt me. And love doesn't go passive and stay silent in the face of wrong. I believe that outside of the work Jesus did on the cross, that this is one of his greatest displays of love as he rebukes the scribes and Pharisees. He's willing to speak up. He's willing to call them out. Now before we can do this, before we can call someone out on their hypocrisy, or even a leader for that matter, we need to look hard and long at how does Jesus save me from my hypocrisy. I think far too often we get caught in this place of thinking that, well, if I just get my life together, if I stop doing bad things, if I start doing good things, um, that maybe I'll start experiencing what all those crazy Christians experience. Uh, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Weirdos. We forget, as we think this way and we act this way, we forget that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are a new creation. We are created in Christ Jesus, and we have God's Spirit working in and through us. There is an awesome text out of Ezekiel, chapter 36, where God is speaking to His people, and He's prophesying, and He's saying this, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is what Christ did on the cross. He removed our heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. He takes on all our doubt, all of our fear, our shame, our guilt, our excuses. He takes on our hypocrisy, and He exchanges it with His love, His peace, His joy, His righteousness, and His Spirit that causes us to walk in His ways and be careful to obey His commands. So we find hope in the cross of Christ because it sets us free to be honest about our own hypocrisy. We find hope in the cross of Christ because it restores our hypocritical lives so that we can help do the same in others. We are restored to restore. We find hope in the cross of Christ because it empowers us to love bad leaders who 
who are hypocritical and have fallen. And we find hope in the cross of Christ because it can restore those leaders and their hypocritical lives to a life of genuineness. It is important for us that in real love, meaning as we study the Scriptures and we, and we be, become aware of who Jesus is and how He taught and how He lived, we start to see that real love is willing to speak up. Because far too often what ends up happening to someone who lives a hypocritical life is they end up crashing and burning. And we come alongside them in the worst time of their life to try and encourage them, but much, uh, far too often it's too late. Far too often they've gotten to a point where they say, you know what? I don't want anything, I don't want anything more to do with the church. I don't want anything more to do with you. I don't want anything more to do with God. But if we're willing to address the heart, if we're willing to go into hard conversations and situations and willing to receive and listen as people share their hard situations. What a change that will bring just to our church, to us as individuals, to our community. I mean, just to be known as a church that's willing to admit when they're wrong and to love those who are willing to do the same. None of us got it all put together. I mean, that's just a fact. You know, we say that often here. You know, it's preached from this pulpit regularly. That we are broken people, and this is all God has to work with. But how awesome is it that God restores us, makes us new, and then gives us His Spirit so that we can carry those things out? We need to believe in the power of God, believe in His Holy Spirit, and what He can and will accomplish in and through us as we lay our lives down, as we humble ourselves and say, God, I can't do this on my own. God, if I try, I know I'm going to become a hypocrite. But in you, I can do all things because you give me the strength to do it. This is the hope that we have in Christ. This is the restored work He has done for us. And this is how we can love hypocritical leaders and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is the word of the Lord for us today. Each week, as we gather together, we always celebrate and partake in communion. And uh, as we do so, we declare, first off, that God has saved us, that God is real, that God is alive, that through His sacrifice, the breaking of His body and, and the shedding of His blood, we have been set free. So we invite you, as we take time to sing and uh, worship the Lord through song, to come and partake. If you are not a believer, this is not for you, but we invite you to believe. We invite you to come and believe in the one and only Son of God who died on the cross for you, who rose again to show you that He has the power to restore a hypocritical life. He has the power to give you all that you need to display real love, to display 
hope and to be a, a man and a woman of mercy just as God has shown us mercy. So as we come to the table, we remember that. We praise God for that. And uh, praise Jesus. Just praise Jesus that he has saved us, that he has done all these things so that we don't have to because we couldn't. We just couldn't. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we come to you. And Lord, we just right out of the gate just say, we have been hypocritical. In some way or another, at some point in our lives, Lord, we have lived that way. But God, thank you that you have saved us from ourselves, from our hypocritical lives, and that you have restored us. And you've done so, so that we might be able to display your love to others, that we might be able to partake in the restoration of others. God, I ask that you give us the strength, God, to truly love our brothers and sisters in Christ as you've called us to, to see, Lord, that we must speak up. God, may we also learn and see what it looks like to be hypocritical as we've gone through this text, Lord God. You gave us an example and, and very specific on what it looks like. I pray that we believe in you, we believe in your gospel, we believe in the, the power of the cross and the resurrection, and we also believe in the hope to come, that we will be with you, that every tear will be wiped away, all pain will be gone, and death will not be a word we ever say again, because you will fully restore us, and that's the hope we have. That's the hope that gives us our joy. That's the hope that gives us our energy. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
being with us this morning. What a glorious day, what a glorious message. And we end with this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Go in peace. Oh yeah. <laughs>